Now, we are going to continue in a series. If you're visiting here today, we're continuing in a series that we're calling Summer School. And if you're new here, here's what we've been saying. The summer is a great time to have some downtime, but it's not a great time to stop learning. In fact, it's a great opportunity to continue to learn. In the summer, what we can do is, what we will do in summer school is we will be able to look backwards at some stuff that we've already learned and actually refresh ourselves on that. Or what we will do is we will look forward and accelerate our learning and get a head start on some of the stuff we want to look at throughout this year. And what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at the book of Proverbs. And what we've said so far is that Proverbs calls us to live out a wise life. But to live out a wise life, what that means is to live out the Jesus life. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what it means to live out the Jesus life when it comes to joy, to joy. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Proverbs chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible... Uh, you can use one of the Bibles that we have here in Sowerton or in Quakertown. If you don't own one, take it home. It's our gift to you. It's free. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and we want you to have access to that truth. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's on page 439. 439. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 28. The prospect of the righteous is joy. For the hope, hopes of the wicked come to nothing. If you're new to this church thing, if you're new to this Christianity thing, if you're new and you're just kind of figuring out, new to the Bible, haven't really known much about it, before we jump into just studying it a little bit, I want to give you just a little bit of a, of, of a tidbit of knowledge in regards to the Bible. The Bible wasn't written in the language that we speak in Southerton, Pennsylvania, or Quakertown, Pennsylvania. It wasn't written in English. It was written in another language, and it was translated. And there are different versions of those translations. What I just read to you from was the New International Version. There are other versions as well, all equally good, all equally true. But sometimes they take different approaches. The New International Version takes a look at looking at an entire passage and translating with the entire passage in mind and actually looking at all that together. We're going to read that verse that I just read to you again, but from the English Standard Version, which actually looks at it more of a literal word-for-word -word translation. Both are good translations, both different approaches, but since Proverbs seems to be a collection of just different sayings that we kind of look at, and we're looking at only one verse in the Bible, I thought it might be better today to look at this verse through a literal translation like the English Standard Version. So... Proverbs 10, 28 in the ESV. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Not that much different, right? Very similar. Very similar. But what I like about the English Standard Version in this verse is their use of hope in relationship to the joy of the righteous. That word hope is actually a better translation of that original Hebrew word. And I think in that word we actually find some important truth that we're going to unpack today. So what we're going to do with that, okay, now that I've said that to you, now that I've told you like, hey, it's important that we focus on this factor of hope, now that I read you that whole translation, we're going to take that and we're going to put it in our pocket for later, okay? 
Just put it in your pocket for later. We're going to take it out a little bit later today, but put it in your pocket for later. What we're going to learn today are three things. We're going to learn about what joy isn't. We're going to learn about what joy is, and we're going to learn about why that's important. We're going to learn about what joy isn't, what joy is, and why that this is important. So before we do all that, okay, you guys are going to have to help me out here for a little bit. I need you to take out your phone. Some of you are like, I already have my phone out. That's how I'm being entertained while you talk. <laughs> take out your phone. Quakertown, take out your phone as well. I want you to go to the camera app, okay? And I want you to click on selfie mode, okay? Because we're going to take a little selfie, all right? No kissy faces. That's awkward. Take out, so actually, I'm going to do one right now, okay? Ready? Here we go. We're going to do it right now. Quakertown, I got the cameras in, in the shot, so you're in this too. There we go, I took a selfie. But okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna guide you through this step by step. Ready? You have your phone on selfie mode. Ready? Look at the phone and raise your left hand. Okay, as you look at it, left hand in the shot. What hand is raised in your phone? Your right hand. Not your left hand, your right hand is raised in the phone because it's a mirror image. It looks very much like what you should be expecting. It looks very much like the truth. But it's actually the exact opposite. Now we're going to do it again. We're going to look at the phone, look at that, and now we're going to take a picture. Ready? Take a picture. Now look at the picture. What hand is raised? The left one. Something happens with your phone when you take a selfie. When you're looking at your phone in selfie mode, you're actually looking at something that appears to be true, but is actually the exact opposite. And then when you, take the, you hit the button, the phone does something, and it translates it, and then it, it presents it to you as you were expecting and hoping it to be. Right? Here's why that's important. Biblical joy isn't cultural happiness. Biblical joy is not cultural happiness. In our society, we present cultural happiness to each other. And actually what it is, is a mirror image. It looks very similar to joy. It looks very similar to biblical joy, but actually it's the opposite. And then what occurs is that we, we doctor it up and we present it in a way that looks like it should be biblical joy but it's not. It's not. Biblical joy is not cultural happiness. Cultural happiness focuses on making a setting where there is an absence of some things. Cultural happiness is making a setting that makes sure that there is an absence of hardship, that there's an absence of pain, that there's an absence of any obstacles to itself. The main focus of cultural happiness is the belief that somehow I deserve to be happy and nothing and no one should get in the way of that. <clears throat> and when we look at that, we realize that when we look at happiness in our culture, it, it is very much trying to isolate us from anything else that could come in the way of that. And so stuff like sadness can exist with cultural happiness. They, they don't go with each other. 
Anything that could block that. If someone is, is, is bothering you and, and not kind of accepting your, your view of happiness, you should have them out of your life. Cultural happiness focuses on making things absent from your life so that nothing interferes with it. In 2015, Disney and Pixar came out with a movie called Inside Out. It was a movie about a young middle school girl named Riley who moves from Minnesota to the West Coast. And she goes through all these different emotions in this movie. And the main characters of this movie are her emotions. There's anger and there's disgust and there's fear. And then the two main characters are joy and sadness. I'm not going to go too much into the movie or give it away if you haven't watched it, but it's 2015 is when it came out. It's 2023. If I gave you spoilers, too bad. (laughs) The whole point is that the character Joy is used to being in control. She's used to Riley experiencing all the impacts of her efforts. And one day, sadness touches a memory of, uh, of Riley's, which is in a sphere. Never mind. It's kind of weird. So she touches it and it actually, the memory turns blue. It turns sad. And Joy starts to panic. Joy's like, what is going on? I need to make sure that Riley only experiences joy, only experiences what I have. And she tries to move sadness out of the picture. Sadness, you can't be around here. Stop touching things. And what she ends up learning is that sadness is very necessary to Riley's life. And in fact, there are moments where both sadness and joy can impact Riley together. Where sadness and joy can actually coexist together. Great movie, won an Academy Award, sounds nice, but is it biblical? Can sadness and joy actually coexist? Can sadness and joy actually occur at the same time? Because we live in a society that has ideologies like Whatever makes you happy, or the pursuit of happiness as these anthems that we plaster across the shirts of our lives, and that we elevate happiness to this this level that it is the only thing worth pursuing in life. And it seems like our culture says, happiness is what you were made for. So when we are feeling sad, it feels like something is wrong. Our culture says happiness is the ultimate goal. It's what everyone should experience, and yet one-third of Americans struggle with depression. It feels as if if we're not completely happy and we're feeling these other feelings of sadness, at times it's like society telling us, well, something's wrong with you. Especially if you go on to social media and you're going through Facebook or Instagram or whatever, you see all of these pictures and posts and writings and you're looking at them and you're like, everyone seems to be happy except for me. What's wrong with me? Well, the reality is everyone's lying. Just so you know. There's some of those are real. A lot of them are not. Can sadness exist and we also experience joy? You see, cultural happiness focuses on making sure things are absent. Biblical joy focuses on the surety we have because Jesus is present. 
You see the difference? Cultural happiness focuses on making sure that things are absent, but biblical joy focuses on the surety we have because Jesus is present. And this is a very difficult concept to grasp. I can't tell you how many times I've heard from people. They'll sit in my office or they'll sit uh, somewhere else and we're talking through stuff and they'll say, well, doesn't God just want me to be happy? And oftentimes when they say that to me, what they're saying is either A, they want to be able to do whatever they want to do, or B, they want life to look the way that they had planned it out to be. And if it doesn't, if, if something comes in to rock that, they're like, wait, I thought that God just wanted me to be happy. Actually, here's the reality. It's not that God wants you to be happy, it's that God wants you to be with him. God wants you to be with him because it's only when you're with him that you can actually experience joy. Only that when you're with him that you can actually experience joy. And what's interesting and what's fascinating to think when you think about the Bible is that oftentimes, oftentimes when we read about joy, it's actually in the midst of hardship. It's actually in the midst of trial. Don't believe me? Okay, let's look through some. If you have a church Bible, page 804, Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Express this joy inside of you always. I say it again, rejoice. God didn't have to have Paul, the writer of this letter, put in always, but he did. Always. Rejoice in the Lord, not just when things are going your way, but when things are hard. Rejoice in the Lord when you are hurting. Rejoice in the Lord when others have hurt you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not enough for you? Okay, I get it. You guys, all right. You drive a hard bargain. That's all right. How about this? James chapter 1. Page 825 in the church Bible. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face... Are you serious? If I was reading an article, if I was Googling an article right now, and it was about pure joy, it would not say what the Bible says. It would say, consider it pure joy. When life goes your way, and you're skipping through the meadows, picking daisies. <laughs> consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, that perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Still not enough for you. Okay, fine. That's all right. Here we go. We'll hear it from Jesus. Will you take Jesus' words? Okay, from Luke. Okay, page 703. Luke chapter 6, verse 23. Blessed are you when people hate you when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil, those sound pretty bad. Because of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Biblical joy is not the absence of hardship or sorrow. Biblical joy is not putting yourself in some sort of fishbowl where nothing can hurt you. 
Biblical joy is so much more than that. And honestly, as I was sitting here today and I was thinking through the Bridge 30th celebration, I cannot picture families that express that joy, that type of joy, better than our Bridge families. For some of our Bridge families, life is extremely difficult. And yet, I have never experienced more joy than when I'm around them. Biblical joy is not the absence of hardship. It's not the absence of hardship. Well, if that's not what joy is, and if joy isn't the absence of hardship, well, what is it? Well, let me tell you what joy is. Joy is a fruit. Joy is a fruit. Not a pineapple or a kumquat, and certainly not a cantaloupe, which is gross and disgusting. It's a fruit. It's the result of work that is being done in you. It is the fruit of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the transformative work of God himself working inside of you. Galatians chapter 5, page 798 in the church Bibles. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Joy comes from the work of the Holy Spirit, from the work of God inside of you. It is the fruit of his work. What does that mean? It means you can't manufacture joy. It means that you can't self-produce joy. You can experience joy. You can accept God's work inside of you and accept that joy, but you can't produce joy. You can't produce joy. You can't manufacture joy, which is very different from what the culture and society around us believes about happiness. I was reading a New York Times article this week. I'm going to give you the title of the article. The title of the article is simply this, How to Be Happy. That's it. I want to preface what I'm going to say right now. I'm not making fun of this article. I'm actually not critiquing this article at all. I'm not making fun of it. There's actually some good rhythms and life things in there. And, and I believe in actually creating good rhythms in your life and all those kind of things. I'm not critiquing this article, but I was struck by some of the things when I read them and just like kind of the theme that kind of came from this article. So according to the New York Times, I'm just going to pick and choose some of those. There's a lot of things in here. I'm going to just pick and choose some things. Ready? How to be happy, according to the New York Times. Organize your closet by color. That's the only one I'm going to make fun of, okay? It's in the middle of decluttering. Some of you got really excited. You're like, oh, this sounds wonderful. I threw up in my mouth when I read it, but... Organize your closet by color. Accomplish something that will take one minute. This is just about productivity. So they gave an example. Hang up your coat. Accomplish something that will take one minute. Very good rhythm. Make your bed. Go for a walk. None of these are bad things. Actually, you should make your bed. If you haven't made your bed, go make it when you go home. Make your bed. 
None of these are bad things. These are good, healthy rhythms. These are good, healthy things to have in your life. But if we couple them with the title of the article, How to Be Happy, and we look at what New York Times is saying, here's the conclusion. This article implies that the result, that happiness is a result of my efforts. It implies that happiness occurs because of what I do. The whole weight and responsibility of my being happy falls on what I do, according to this article. But everything it told me to do is temporary. Everything it told me to do is temporary. I could go for a walk, but eventually the walk's going to end. I can hang up my coat, but I'm going to have to hang it up again. I can make my bed, I'm going to have to make it again. I'm not color-coding my closet. All of these things are temporary. They're fleeting. And that's the thing about cultural happiness. It's, it's temporary, and it's fleeting, and it's dependent on circumstances. Biblical joy is eternal and dependent on Jesus. Remember earlier we read from the English Standard Version, and we talked about hope and how it relates to uh, the joy of the righteous, and I told you to put it in your pocket. Okay, we're going to reach into our pocket, and we're going to take it back out right now, okay? We're going to bring that back. I did that, and I read from the English Standard Version because hope is a better translation of the word uh, that leads to the joy of the righteous. But I also did that because I think we need to understand something. Cultural happiness is based off of cultural hope. Okay? Cultural happiness is based off of cultural hope. Which is more like wishful thinking. It is a desire for comfort in the midst of my wishes that everything turns out the way I want it to be. It is temporal and it is fleeting and it is uncertain. And so if my happiness is based off of this cultural wishful thinking hope, it will lead to just as that verse in Proverbs says, it will perish. It will end. Biblical joy, biblical joy is different. Biblical joy is different. Because we are made righteous only through the sacrificial work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. We are made righteous through Jesus. And so our hope is anchored in Jesus. Our hope is not based on something that can happen to us that we can somehow control. Our hope is based on something that's already been done by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We sang a song earlier in the service and it said, Hope has a name. It's his, name uh, his name is Jesus. Our hope, the hope of the righteous, is Jesus. And so we do not have a wishful thinking hope. We have a certainty in our hope. And if Jesus is the hope of, our, of the righteous, then joy is the result of Jesus. I cannot manufacture it. I cannot make it. 
It's not dependent on temporal things or fleeing things. I can only anchor it to the sacrificial, powerful work of Jesus. The hope of the righteous is Jesus. My joy flows from that anchor. 1 Peter 1.8, which is page 828 in the church Bibles. It says this about this sort of joy, this joy that is anchored to Jesus. It says this, though you have not seen him, referring to Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. An inexpressible and glorious joy. Joy is the fruit of God working in us because of our hope in Jesus, because of Jesus and his sacrificial work, because of Jesus and his power. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus, and that is the anchor for our joy. Joy is a fruit of God working in us. And this, is important. This is important. If we base our joy on circumstances, if we base our joy on our own efforts, if we base our joy even on how we feel, At some point, life will happen. At some point, life will happen. And so if I'm pursuing happiness, and for me, happiness is just the absence of any trials or the absence of any obstacles. If I'm pursuing happiness, what happens to that happiness when I lose my job? What happens to that happiness when the doctor comes to me and uses the word cancer? What happens to that happiness when my child goes a different way than what I was expecting or when when something happens to that child? What happens when I'm hurt by someone? If happiness is based on my own actions and my own endeavors, what happens when life occurs? But if my joy is anchored, is anchored in Jesus, my joy is anchored in Jesus, that changes everything. That changes everything. I don't take my word for it. You should never just take my word for it. You should see what God's word says. Let's look at that inexpressible and glorious joy again. But let's read a little bit more. Instead of starting at verse six, uh, 8, let's start at verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice. It's a great way to start a sentence. And it pictures, there's so many pictures that you put in there. A bridge celebration for 30 years. A birthday party. In all these things you greatly rejoice. This is what the Bible says. In all this you greatly rejoice. So now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the 
proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That is biblical joy. It's not the absence of hardship. It is the presence of Jesus. That's biblical joy. So what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What do we take, what's our takeaway from that? I'm going to confess to you something right now. I almost ended this sermon like a New York Times article. I even came up with an acronym. It was horrible. And I realized what I was doing. I was telling you to do the exact thing that I just told you not to do. That somehow you can manufacture joy. How do we experience biblical joy? We go to the source. We go to the source. The source of that joy is Jesus. We have said over and over again this year that we desire to be a church of disciples with an emphasis on prayer and mission. We want to be serious about prayer. So what do I want you to do? I want you to pray this week. I just want you to hang out with God. I just want you to spend some time with him. Not even to go and ask him for stuff or any of those. You can do those things. God wants you to do those. I just want you to spend time with him. Just make some time. Make some time to hang out with God this week. Just talk to him. Listen. Listen to him. Open up his word and see what he's trying to say. The song we sang today about hope having a name, what does it say in the chorus? It says, I bow my life. I fix my eyes on Christ the King. That's all I want you to do this week. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Spend some time with him. Talk with him. Enjoy him. It doesn't mean, again, remember, when you experience a joy, it doesn't mean that you won't have sadness. Both can happen. Both can occur at the same time. It means that in the midst of that sadness, in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of that trial, in the midst of whatever it is you're going through, you are anchored. You are anchored to a secure hope. You are anchored to that source of joy. You are anchored to Jesus. So this week, just spend some time with him and talk with him. Let's do that right now. Lord, we thank you and we love you. We love you so much. Jesus hasn't felt all the time this week very joyful. But I know, I know that it's not based on my feelings. It's based on the certainty of who you are. And so, Lord, I ask that you just make that real in my life and in everyone else's life here. And everyone in Quakertown who's listening, I ask you that that joy would just overflow this week. And in the midst of pain, in the midst of sadness, in the midst of all the good times and the in-between 
Let us just be anchored to you, Jesus. Let us be anchored and allow your Holy Spirit to work in us and produce that fruit, that fruit of joy. Help us not to place our hope in fleeting things, but to stand with certainty on the rock. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.